Hello and thank you for joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. I am Sam Foster and this is Hayden Jones. And this episode we're talking to Marielisa Rintela. Oh, who's she, Hayden? Well, she is an amazing, intelligent, uh, creative arts therapist, uh, practitioner. Mm. Um, how did we? How did we happen to come across a creative arts therapist? Well, I happen. I happen to know her. She lives in my house, or I live in her house, whichever way you want to look at it. It depends who you ask. But um, I was I was lucky enough to to marry this incredible woman. Um, and I thought, look, what a great, what a great subject and great uh, point of discussion for our podcast to talk about the relationship between art and therapy, and I guess the difference between um, the catharsis of art making and 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 art as a as a therapeutic tool, in, mm. more in the kind of mental health and um, self growth kind of world. Yeah, and it was a fascinating chat, um, and. We kind of touched on that point, but also what is art therapy and kind of broke down a bit of the stigma attached to or the, the misperceptions that are often associated with something like therapy or particularly art therapy that people mm. don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. So Maria Lisa kind of broke that down really, really nicely and, and hopefully shed some light on that for people. So if it's, uh, if it's something, if you're someone who's listening to this and you've thought about therapy of any kind or you've heard about art therapy and gone, I wonder what that is, or it all sounds a bit too airy-fairy or oogly-boogly, as my dad says, mm-hmm. uh, have a listen to the episode because you might be surprised that it's not as scary or weird as you first may have thought. No, it's powerful stuff and it's, it's, uh, it's legit. It it works in my experience. What I've observed of of her practice, mm. um, and I it's it's there's a lot more to it than than coloring books. Mm. Um, not to dismiss them if they're helpful to people, but it, it's much more to it than that. So it was great to get an insight into that. Um, now, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. Um, thanks for giving us a crack in this uh, huge and crazy and confusing world of podcasts. Um, if you're a regular listener, thank you for following our episodes so far. Yeah, now, hopefully you've been enjoying, you know, you may have noticed that we're trying to mix things up and, and we're trying to bring you not just artists on this podcast mm. and uh, we're trying to kind of talk about art and, and creativity more generally so that it's accessible for anyone. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'd love to hear some feedback. I mean, if you want to drop us a message on, on Instagram or, um, you know, jump on our website and, and, and send us an email or something to telling us what you think of the episodes or even actually even better than that is leave a comment or a review on the podcast. Absolutely. On, on, on Spotify or, or iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and, and rate it as well. I mean, you wouldn't just leave a review and then not rate it. You need to rate it, preferably higher. Yeah. higher. It would be nice. Yeah. But also if you have any feedback of what you would like to hear us talk about, if you go, actually, I'd love to hear them interview someone from this profession, Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful for us um, yeah. because, like Sam said, we want to be sort of like archaeologists getting out there and, and, and digging into places in the world and in various uh, fields where there may be a creative practice that we don't often think about or consider or may offer some new insight for us and just a reminder uh for those of you who haven't already signed up to our patreon page 
you can do that. Uh, go to Patreon, look up Shock Therapy, and the money from uh, that you donate will go directly towards the future production of this podcast. So we were lucky enough to get a bit of money in the initial stage to set the podcast up, but now that we're up and running, we want to keep doing this, and in order to do that, we need a little bit of support. So we'd love you to jump on board. Go to Patreon. Uh, I think it's patreon.com slash shock therapy um, and you'll find us on there. Uh, we'll put all the links to our Patreon page in the show notes. Uh, so we really appreciate it and it just means that we can take the time uh, or not just us but our producer David mm-hmm. Carberry uh, spending the time editing these episodes. There is time that goes into it so we really appreciate uh, any support that you can give us if you're enjoying the podcast. So that's about it. So let's uh, let's rip into the episode with Maria Lisa. Maria Lisa Rintela, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. Did I say that correctly? No, it's okay. It's only really? been eight years. It's only been eight years. I've had eight years of practice. Um, <laughs> Uh, which I should be uh, fully transparent here. Um, this week's guest is actually happens to be married to me. Um, so well, you happen to be married to her. I, yeah. Totally. I am yeah. her husband. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's not nepotism, um, but I don't, I don't care what you think. This is our podcast. We can do what we want. It was actually my <laughs> suggestion, so just oh. to, for the record. And, uh, and so, you know, if there is any... any uh, Bias that mm. that we may be criticised of. Yeah. I can I could verify that that I thought that you would be a. a I know. I actually I actually to to be Thanks, fair Sam. I actually pushed back. I <laughs> actually I actually argued against and but here you are. You know. Yeah. So Sam wins. Wow. Yeah. Majority wow. rules. David yeah. got a vote as well, and he and yeah, Thanks. and right about now you're regretting the whole situation. Yep. But enough about us. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you tell us uh, a little bit about? Well, let's start with your title, I guess. What do you what do you what do you call yourself these days? As in my role? Yeah, yep. as in your in your professional role, not not, you know, <laughs> human being, uh, you know, mother, all of those other roles. What's your what's your professional title? So, I'm a creative arts therapist. Uh, some people say expressive arts therapist or art therapist, but yeah, I say creative arts therapist. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, so not including study where I was also, um, doing some work while studying, but out of study for about four years now, I've been practicing. Yep. Okay. And we're sitting here in this, um, we're on location actually, we're, mm-hmm. we're welcoming you, but really you're welcoming us in this beautiful little, uh, bespoke handcrafted studio, which has just been completed. Understand. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about where we are right now so that the listeners can uh, get a little bit of a picture of it. Okay, so we're in a beautiful wooden A-frame studio um, that's amongst the trees. In, it's in the hinterland on the Gold Coast, Upper Coomera. Um, it's been hand-built, obviously all things are hand-built, but it's been hand-built by my dad um, and has been working on this studio for quite a while now, I think about a year working on this studio. Uh, and I came to him with the idea of this tiny little A-frame thing on the ground that I was hoping to have as a studio. And then now this has come into fruition. It's a little bit 
crazy the comparison this is beautiful there's um it's spacious it's gorgeous beautiful views it's yeah really lovely and a lot of hours of your dad just being out here in the garden building this all by himself Mm -hmm. i don't know how he managed to erect this whole thing by himself but uh so your dad is obviously he's a builder Mm -hmm. um finnish australian yes which is part of your heritage obviously That's right. Yeah, so it's got a bit of a Scandinavian vibe to it. Um, yeah, definitely, especially the wood and the smell of the wood. It's very much like a Finnish sauna kind of feel, mm. which is just that kind of, um, yeah, wood hand handiwork thing. And, <laughs> and just so people are clear, when you say studio, this is also where you do your practice with clients, yeah? Yeah, exactly right. Yep. So this is obviously where I work to prepare for that, but mainly the use of this studio is to have clients come in, have private sessions here, also small group sessions that we run here because we've got a really large veranda that kind of expands the space. Um, So it can be quite intimate or bigger. And yeah, it's just a really beautiful place that it's, um, if you have to, if you have to go into those tricky conversations or deep things you want to think about, I think it's really nice to do it in a really warm, inviting space. Uh, and it's just so beautiful. So you can relax here and get quite creative here. It's really got the the vibe, the experience that I was looking for. Mm. So you wanted the um, – so do you uh, – your idea of, I guess, a, a, a session of therapy um, is uh, you look at it as sort of as this whole experiential – thing it's not just about because you could have sat in a um in a room in the house or in a yeah in a demountable somewhere or but you had a very clear vision that you want of what you wanted i guess the whole experience to feel like yeah why is that sort of a an important part of the process of therapy to you well for me it's interesting you say that because i think for me experience has always been a, a big deal so when i was little we had a room under the house I used to go down there and prep it all up, like make a whole disco or something, like make an experience. No one turned up to these experiences. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. No, but that was, I was really into designing an experience and I've thought about that my whole, that's been really, a, a really big deal to me my whole life. I think experiences are what shape us, obviously. Um, and I wanted therapy to not become, not be this cold sterile experience that it can Mm. often feel like or a really daunting experience that it can often feel like um but something that you might possibly that you could and i think you should look forward to and enjoy even if you're touching on hard stuff you can also touch on fun stuff and it's just this opportunity to really enjoy the whole experience the arrival of being in a beautiful space being attended to having someone looking after you Mm. listening to you nourishing you then you're doing self-growth and growing and leaving. So that the whole package I think was really important. Um, I think we often, I think it's part of breaking down that stigma. We often make therapy like this very clinical thing that only some people attend and we don't really talk about it. There's this whole stigma about it. But what happens if it was this whole experience that we're like, you should go. That's It's a beautiful experience. It's expansive. It can be difficult, but it's also really beautiful and, um, yeah, enjoyable. Can we just... Um, uh just on that note, before we get too far down the rabbit hole of like how you got into this, but just for people who maybe have never heard of the term creative arts therapy or therapist, what would be your description of it in, in the most simple kind of layman terms? We obviously both are familiar with what it entails and what you what that does. But if, if someone came to you and was like, I've never heard of that, what does what is that? How would you best describe it? So I know it's not a layman term, but it's a form of psychotherapy. 
So, um, and it involves using a range of creative modalities. It depends on the therapist, if they use art or drama or uh, music, movement. Um, So there's a range of different types of therapies you can do in creative arts therapy. Um, And it's just engaging in those different creative activities, depending on your need, your issue, your concern, also your capabilities. So it's really quite individual. It's not, there's not one cookie cutter answer to what you're going to experience in creative arts therapy. Um, But in the end, I guess the overarching umbrella would be, it's a psychotherapeutic approach, whether it's between you, the therapist and a form of creativity. Great. Awesome. And uh, that's the dog. That's the dog on the deck. Oh, yeah. Dog on the <laughs> deck. Get out of here, Rigby. Um, um, <laughs> and so what, um, I guess the next question from that is what got you into it? Tell us a little bit about your journey from, um, I guess, you started as an artist as well. So that's probably worth maybe mentioning how you kind of transitioned from being an artist and, and what, what sort of sparked your interest and, and the kind of pathway that you led you to this point? Yeah, so I loved theatre. Theatre is my main love for years. And in high school, I was really involved in theatre. Then I applied for uni and I got into theatre. But I really struggled with this voice in my head that was like, theatre is not a real job. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It is, clearly. (laughs) Um, But that was a real struggle for me. So I dropped my theatre degree and went into psychology. Um, I was halfway through my psychology degree. And although I loved it and I am quite analytical, I knew that there was just still this burning passion to do creativity as well. So I went back and did a double major, psychology and theatre. I finished that degree and then I could have gone into fourth year to move into becoming a registered psychologist. But one, I was young and I didn't feel comfortable being seen as a, an expert. That just didn't feel right for me. And it wasn't, I realized later, it wasn't even just about being young. That's something I'm uncomfortable with as a therapist. People assuming that you as a therapist have the answers. It's not something I agree with. Um, but life experience probably does come into that. Like a bit yeah. of age is a, is a helpful thing in, in, in the field that you work in for sure, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, true. Yes, the person I was back then, I don't think she should have been a therapist. So... That worked out well. Um, And then I ended up working for a lot of NGOs. I traveled. I was in refugee camps and I was in prison in New Mexico and doing a lot of things um, with creativity with these NGOs. So doing drama and performance in those organizations. Um, So I always found myself coming back to the arts and while doing helping in, in the helping profession. So I was always naturally kind of combining the two, but a little bit lost trying to figure out what to do. I had a child and kind of got um, swallowed up by motherhood, I would say. Um, I was young and I didn't really understand how to still hold on to my own identity and be a mother. And that's a whole other conversation, but that was really tricky. So that was a bit of a struggle for me. But then as I went through the self-growth of that, um, I became a single mom and just my own self-growth to get myself out of what had kind of created a bit of a hole for myself. When I went on this whole self-growth journey, I realized how how powerful and transformation transformative it can be um, when you're given the tools to just to just grow, uh, and how life can just look so wildly different from one path to another when you have the opportunity to grow and change internally. Um, then I met this guy, some just Who random. Is he? I'll kill him. <laughs> Hayden Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, Schmuck. 
And I remember sitting on a couch with him having a bit of a, woe is me, what am I going to do with my life? I love performance. I was a performer. I was performing in shows. Um, I was a voiceover artist for a while there. I love all that. But at the same time, I really want to help people. And I was really interested in performance that has longevity afterwards. So experiences, creative experiences that you have that then have some longevity. You've got to think about it. It changes you inside. It's not just a fun experience, which I'm all for as well, but something that shifts something in you and has some long-term impact. And he mentioned arts therapy. I'd never heard of it before. Um, And so then I went down the rabbit hole, art therapy. Then I did drama therapy. Then I did my master's in mental health in art therapy. Um, Yeah. And then Outside of that, I've done ongoing studies in trauma therapy, like trauma-informed therapy um, and maternal mental health. I'm really fascinated in women's, like mum's mental health, obviously born out of my own experience. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's landed me here today. It's, it, yeah, I can rem- remember that day sitting, except I remember we were at the dining table, but I, I could couch. be wrong. But okay. we should draw about okay, it. Okay, 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 guys. And it did seem like the perfect confluence to use that great word mm. of all your uh, history mm. up until that point you know of psychology and the arts and parenthood which is yeah also uh, until now has been a big part of your practice as well working with children and with parents yeah um so it was this kind of uh, light bulb moment and from there off you went it's it's sort of i guess there's probably uh, uh, um uh, uh I'm making some assumptions here, but there's probably a bit of a perception out there about creative arts therapy from people who don't know a lot about it as a slightly uh, woo-woo, mm. you know, kind of hi- hippie kind of thing to do. And maybe in the in the world of um, ther- in the therapy world in the mental health world, maybe in some factions, it's not regarded as as a I as can, legitimate as a psychology. Or I can verify that. I did a year of. Um, uh, advanced diploma in holistic counseling and it mm. was very much it's in the mm. same ballpark as creative arts therapy yeah. and, and you know you kind of mention it to people and yeah. from yeah. from the mainstream i guess you would call mm-hmm. it uh health industry and mm-hmm. they go oh that's interesting <laughs> yeah and, like, and you're like you know so you're a therapist or so what, what sort of therapist are you i'm a creative arts therapist maybe mm. their opinion of that is slightly changed but obviously we all know from having direct experience with it that it is a legitimate and you know, scientifically supported um, and powerful very method, yeah, mm. methodology, and it's it's gaining more and more um, validation, I guess, as a form. How how would you say mm. like it's how is it misunderstood? Do you think, and 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 how how is it different from what the perception might be? Yeah, and I think maybe the misunderstanding is more so in Australia than overseas. So it's more mainstream in the UK and in America, which is where it originated from. So we're just kind of playing catch up here. Um, so that's you know, there's yeah, it's it's not as understood over here. So we're just we're you know informing people as we go along, and I think that will change. Um, how do I think it's misunderstood? Is I think. Things that have been super helpful, like colouring in books and mindfulness colouring in books, they're great, but they do get toted as art therapy, touted as Mm -hmm. art therapy. Um, And they're not because they don't involve that triad of therapist, client, artwork. Mm -hmm. And that's what really defines art therapy. Yeah, it's all that analytical Mm. aspect and that that reflection that is required to go, what is this now? How are Mm. you interpreting what you've just done or experienced Mm -hmm. through that 
drawing, colouring, in painting, whatever it is. And I think that's an integral part of the whole process. Like you say, that the role of the therapist themselves is kind of what tips it over from just a, a, a fun artistic um, outlet and, and, yeah. a, and a more therapeutic intervention. Where like the images are preset and you're simply choosing colours yeah. with, with which to fill them in. And like mm. you say, then there's no, there's no kind of client-centred reflection. Yeah, I think it's kind of the same as writing in a journal as opposed to speaking to a talking therapist. You know, you're still getting words out and you might be looking at them and thinking, but you're not having someone reflect back to you what's going on for you or what they can see and witness to draw patterns for you, to build that safe space and that co-regulation where you're with someone else and it helps you feel calm and you learn to feel more calm. And like journaling, there's still value in that process. And in, in any, if you play music or you... Um, you know, have an artistic expression of your own. You you draw, you paint, you you're a muso. That's that's still valuable. But mm-hmm. but like we're saying, it it when you're having someone feed that experience back to you and interpret it and and allow you to kind of analyze it on a on a slightly different level. I think that's for me where it where it shifts into a more therapeutic approach. Yeah, definitely. So, 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 could you talk us like what is a sort of a typical process of a ther- a session of art therapy for those who don't know, and how is it different to mm. traditional talk therapy? Okay, um, so a. There's lots of it that is similar, as in you would have a form that you fill out when you attend a therapist, so we can kind of get a vague understanding of what's going on for you. Um, There's the same boundaries of confidentiality, the same rules and regulations. So that's all very similar. The difference would be with creative arts therapy. So in the first, let's say, first couple of sessions, what I'm trying to understand is the person's goal for therapy, what it is that they want. Oftentimes what they come with as their goal isn't actually their goal, we might want to get beneath that and find out what's really going on for them and what their goal is. Um, and then through... Is it, is it okay if someone doesn't have a goal? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course, because obviously for them to want to attend therapy, to turn up and pay the money and come in the door, they, they, would, they would have a goal of just wanting to mm. be creative and be seen and maybe give themselves some self-care. Yeah, even if they weren't necessarily conscious of what that goal yeah. was or specific about it, they the fact... There's an impetus there the to get there. The fact that they're there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's actually really important. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think creative arts therapy or any therapy really, um, but maybe creative arts therapy gives more opportunity for this. I don't think it has to be for someone when they just reach crisis, although that is important. But I think it's just ongoing self-care that we need to allow ourselves these opportunities to tap into our creativity, talk about our everyday feelings, have that space that we're in relationship with another person that can reflect back to us. I just think it's just regular self-care. What would somebody expect to sort of experience in a, in a session? Yeah, so like I said, it really depends for me. So I'm an art therapist and drama therapist. Mm-hmm. So they're the two modalities that I use. So for me, once we're working out a goal, we might do some art process around working out what that goal is, drawing some specific pictures. I also get to know the person. And as an art therapist, I know what different materials can trigger or resonate with with somebody so if do you want to talk us through the different art uh, mm. materials because i know there's several uh and and the different the various artistic like literally crayon paints you mm. know sand clay all the different sort of things that you might use for so a particular client there's two types of media so we say rigid media <clears throat> sorry rigid media or fluid media so rigid would be things like pencils felt pens um 
yeah, more solid materials. Fluid media would be things like um, chalk pastels can be. They're almost fluid. They're in between. They're a bit softer and they move more easily. Paint, definitely fluid material, things like that. And so what you would do is understanding you get to choose whether you want to. This is one way. This is art-based, not drum-based because it's, again, different. But art-based-wise, if I'm someone's coming in and they want to express their frustration, I might try and resonate with that and we work with clay for a while because that gets a lot of the energy that's in their body. We're trying to move that energy through into a, into an object that we can externalize and look at. So that would be really good. But if we're down the track with them and I think actually we need to move past that frustration into a more of a fluid emotion, then we might move across to paint, which paint then can really, you know, bring on more tears or other kind of loose emotions. Um, so it's just being able to know when that's an appropriate choice and also just being keeping people safe, following their goal, if that's their goal to move through that frustration and find out what's underneath it, then it would make sense that we would do that process safely over time. So that's the way you play with materials. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of uh, consideration around what sort of materials you give to a person, like you mm-hmm. might not jump in with a certain material mm-hmm. and um, – and maybe that's going to be too um, confronting or too evocative for them early on and so forth? Or do you let them kind of gravitate to whatever material they kind of want to gravitate to naturally? Yes. So, well, there's different processes, directive process and non-directive. So non-directive is that you can say, which I would in the early session say, is there anything that you are interested in material-wise, we can have a go with it. And I would just do it safely. So talk about how they feel in their body, making sure I'd be paying attention if I see them getting really activated and heightened. Maybe we'd move to something that's a bit more of a, um, a rigid material to help them calm, their nervous system to calm down. But yes, in the beginning, it's good to let people have free play so that they can see what they're comfortable with and I can kind of watch what they naturally go towards. And that helps me understand What's going on for them if they're always a pencil person, like a lead pencil person? That's an interesting conversation to have. Like, is this about perfectionism? Is this about being quite rigid in your thinking? Is this what's going on for you? How would you feel if we did move to using chalk pastels or something? How would that feel? If that's too much, let's not do it, but let's talk about that. And so the person will often come in with uh, an issue that they want to explore or draw (laughs) about, or sometimes it's blind. Um, is that right? I mean, I know I did a I did a yeah. group session once. It's the only time because it's uh, ethically you're not allowed to uh, do therapy with me. But I did sit in on a group session, and that was a little bit more. That felt a little bit more random. I mean, it was being guided <laughs> by you, but I felt like I was randomly choosing things out of magazines to cut out and stick mm. down and and. But we gave you in a directive. My- the directive was collage. So we, we directed you in the material, but you could do... And in the end, I can give a client a directive, yourself included, and you can say, no, I don't want to do that. It's Art therapy isn't like an art class where I'm saying, this is what we're working with and this is what you're making. It's not a skill. It's not a skill. Mm-hmm. So I can say, I think it would be great for you to collage what you're talking about because it would be great to have that feeling of ripping those images. It would be great for you if you're feeling a bit uncomfortable in drawing. Mm. Collage is an easy way to access art making. Mm. But if you go, no, I just want to do paint today, I'm not going to be all hardcore about it. You can do paint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in my head at the time, I wasn't collaging about a particular mm. issue that right. I was thinking about. I felt like I was being quite um, quite impulsive and, and just kind of going, I like that and sticking mm. things down fairly randomly. Now, when, we, when it got really interesting was when <laughs> we got to the self-analysis. 
part at the end, mm-hmm. and I realised that I had done this 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 image that basically in a in a procession across the page told a story of my own frustration of hmm. of achievement and barriers and lack at that time in my life of things I wanted to kind of I, I attain but couldn't get felt that I was stuck in getting to and and I, I, uh, it, I think it blew my mind yeah <laughs> well I think that's like you've just hit the nail on the head of the 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 power of of art therapy artistic therapies and and how they they um, work on a much more subconscious level mm. because you can be just participating in mm. this artistic expression and not really thinking consciously, unlike talk therapy where you're, where you're kind of recalling events or you're mm-hmm. talking from a cognitive place, you're just kind of painting and, and something happens, something mysterious thing, <laughs> and I know because I've experienced it as well, that something comes through on a, on a deep sort of subconscious level in whatever it is that you're expressing, whether it be clay or sand or, or painting or, or drawing, um, and that's where it can be really profound is at that end point when you kind of look back and go, whoa, I didn't even realise I was... How many of our choices are, mm. uh, are loaded with meaning mm. that we, we don't realise that they are? Like what, you know, and I guess that's part of your job, yeah. right, is to be, uh, make those provocations like why did you choose that colour? Yeah. Why did you do a big dark swirl in the centre of the page and what does that represent? Yeah, yeah so talk, talk us through that process because it, it's quite a, a subtle um, guiding that the role of the ther- your role in that in that process where someone's just going through this their own personal expression and there's all this subconscious stuff coming through how are you sort of looking for clue um, cues and and little indicators that you can kind of just yeah how do you direct them through that process I mean that's a big question but yeah um, so it was in the vein of arts based therapy. Um, there's a lot of things that happen. I'm observing them and making the art. So I sit and watch people make their art um, as much as they're comfortable me doing. And so I'm observing the things that they, whether they work quickly, slowly. So I reflect all that. Well, I, if I think it's appropriate, I will reflect that back to them. Sometimes they don't need to hear that right now. But you're registering it either way, even if you're not reflecting yeah, it back to them. Yeah. yeah. How they're gluing things down or not gluing things down, whether they do it structured or haphazard, if they felt they needed to move quickly or not. Those kind of things. And then it's just asking questions. It's just like it's just like having a nice friend that's listening to you and going, I just noticed all this. Can I reflect it back to you? Because sometimes we don't see or hear what we do. And then just giving you a chance to think about it a bit more. So I might just say, I noticed you used a lot of black because they might not have noticed. I noticed that you use this image you weren't going to and then you did. Does, is that? And you can say that doesn't mean anything or it does. But in my experience... Um, yeah, something resonates. And do, sure. do you identify it like in that sense as a, a bit of a facilitator mm. for the process? Is is that sort of how you see yeah. yourself? I think so in the arts-based therapy, we talk about it being a triad. So it is the therapist, the client and the art material. And the art material is kind of we talk through the art. So the client talks about the image and I talk about the image and we keep the story in the artwork. So I'm helping them facilitate what's going on on the page or in the sculpture or whatever, or in the movement that they've just done or the poetry they just read, written, sorry. So what I do is we keep it in that and in that it keeps it distant. So it's not saying you are this and you said this, but it's like the art says this and the art shows this. So there's that distance. So I'm just pointing at that for them. It keeps it safe and approachable 
for them and then they can reflect back what they also see. So, yeah, it's a beautiful way to keep it also externalised from ourselves. It seems like it's it's um, in a way not even competing with the other types of therapy. Like it's not really competing with talk therapy. It feels like its greatest strength is its ability to bypass the conscious and straight to the subconscious. So it's sort of like um, like in that regard, I imagine there's you know, you know there's people that it works for that talk therapy doesn't work for because I guess as soon as you start to talk about your feelings, you're, you're moving things from from the you know emotional state or subconscious mind into your conscious mind so that you can put them into words and speak them. Mm-hmm. And this seems to kind of go past that and straight to expression for people who maybe can't normally express so well with their words. Is that fair to say? And have you seen it work for people who have uh, not had a lot of benefit from talk therapy? I definitely have, myself included, when I first started started studying it. And I had been seeing a therapist for a while talking about some things that I just hadn't gotten to the bottom of. And then through my training, it just, you know, all that became very clear. So I found that so powerful. It motivated me even more to do it. And I work with a lot of kids who, um, as young people, have had a lot of trauma. And so for them, though, they're not able to put words to it because a lot of that trauma was pre-verbal. And so art making helps them move that energy out of their body um, and heal that in a process that's very nonverbal. But as well for adults, yes, it's definitely um, we have we have an amazingly powerful um, nervous system that protects us like all the time. But that protection means oftentimes we can't access some of the more difficult things because we go into freeze, fight, flight, fawn. So. Creative arts therapy, when done safely with a trained professional, helps us keep that nervous system calm, work within our window of tolerance and keep it calm so that we can safely access those stories that we need to access. Yeah. And can you just quickly uh, touch on, you you mentioned there that you do both art therapy and drama therapy. Mm -hmm. Can you just define the difference for us? We've talked a lot about what art therapy kind of is. What's drama therapy and how is that different So drama therapy, I guess, is just a different modality. So I use um, like puppetry, storytelling. It's a lot more, we do a lot more with distancing and role. So using the empty chair theory where someone can be talking to an empty chair, that kind of process. There's a crossover between the two. Um, So there is a thing in creative arts therapy called the expressive therapies continuum. Um, and that's another theory. And basically what it says is depending where you are, whether you need more movement in your body to help you or whether you need more cerebral or whether you need to think more symbolically, you kind of find whether it's art that would fit that answer or drama or movement or music. And are you basing that on personalities that come in? Are you going, I think this modality is going to really resonate because your personality is, uh, you're more of um, uh, you know, physical person, so maybe that those physical kind of modalities might suit you better are you sort of looking at people on a case-by-case basis and going i I really think this might be a a really good intervention and a good medium for you or yeah i think it's a whole bunch of things yeah i think it yeah exactly personality um also just their skill um you know and whether they have some disabilities in some areas so it'd be more it'd be more beneficial for them to do something else their developmental age that they are their capabilities you know younger people some of the super young people aren't able to think in metaphor and symbolism yet, so I wouldn't move into that kind of stuff. I do more sensory play. So, yeah, definitely you kind of have to make a judgment on the whole, what would best suit your need, your goal, your capabilities. 
And and do you consider like, you know, because there's more and more talk about memories existing in different parts of the body other mm. than the brain. Mm. Is that something you sort of have delved into and is that something you consider when deciding what sort mm. of approach to take with a client? Yeah, definitely. That's uh, trauma studies. It talks about, yeah, I, I love it to death. I think it's fascinating about how we get a lot more information actually from our body than we do from our brain. So it's bottom up, you know, um, and so it's like our body feels afraid or angry first before our brain even registers the story for that. Um, so I think that's really fascinating. So yes, I, that's why I think drama therapy can be really powerful, but if I think it's too close to home, getting someone to get up into their body, if they've had a lot of trauma, we might stick with the page first and then be able to move through those kind of stories in our body a bit later when it's safer. So it really depends, but yeah, other people definitely let's get up and play roles and you be this other person and I'll be the person that you were. Now tell me what you wanted to say if you didn't feel safe to say that. Yeah, it's always made sense to me because our, our physical body is the thing that experiences the world. Hmm. The ec- it's, it's our gateway to the external world. We hear things, we see things, we smell things, we touch things. It's not our brain. that pro- That's the second layer of that processing is our sensory perception is what brings all of that information in, sends it to the brain, and then the brain makes sense of it. So mm. to think about these modalities that are requiring to use your senses again to engage with yeah. your sense of touch and sight and smell even, um, I think are incredibly powerful, like even more powerful because it's it's precognition. Yeah. It's before the brain has actually made sense of that. That's just It's just the raw experience. Yeah, and it seems like science is catching up to things that, We've always done intuitively, um, yeah. but we're, I guess, long dismissed for lack of lack of um, scientific evidence, and, and that mm. seems to be changing now. Yeah, we became really cerebral there for a while, you know. It became so glorified to be how clever are you, how much can you think, how much can you control your emotions and squash them and shut down and be like the boss of it. Mm. Um, that kind of became king, and I think now – we're starting to realize, oh, being in touch, let's reconnect with our bodies and what's going on in our bodies. Mm. Let's value them as much as our brains. And that just seems scandalous. Oh my gosh, could you do that? But valuing that, you know, as much and that, that has it has a lot of information for us. Mm. And that's where we hold then a lot of our sickness, illness, that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's really powerful. And neuroscience and um, like polyvagal theory, all these stuff is catching up and mm. really teaching us that now. Do you think, oh, you go, right? Is there, do you think there's any limitations to who art therapy can be beneficial for? Um, I think your, the mode you use depends on the person you have. So no, I think it can be for anybody. Um, it just, you would obviously tailor what you do depending. Mm. So like I said, when I work with really young children, I do more sensory based things. Mm. You know how like at the moment, all the teenagers are saying, oh, that's so satisfying when they watch Mm. like people eat. KFC oh, I can't on stand that YouTube. Stuff. Have you not? Oh, it's awful. Have you not videos seen it? Videos of yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, videos of people eating and slurping food and eating. Uh, people you know, like that. Mouth, yeah. mouth noises and crunching chicken nuggets over and over, and they have these well, hour-long videos the, of that. What about yeah. all the people with misophonia? <laughs> shout out yeah. to Ronnie, uh, who <laughs> can't stand. Oh, well, she sounds. should not stumble across that YouTube thing. videos. It's a, a thing. It's disgusting. Really? So yeah, our teenage daughter shows us. It's gross. Mm. 
But what I'm saying is she says, oh, it's so satisfying. And I hear lots of people say it's so satisfying. <laughs> All this stuff. Or, you know, you watch YouTube videos of people pouring paint or cutting things in straight lines. I don't know. Like, just- I do get some. I do get some of there was one video I watched and it was like a Korean bakery and they were making these giant cakes that would come out of the oven all proofed and they would be huge and puffy and pillowy and they slice them. Yeah, I get that. These big sections. And right. It, and I was kind of getting off on that. And for a while I got wet because then Whatever YouTube feeds you. Right? YouTube feeds you. <laughs> so you late um, night watching, just watching these bakery videos. <laughs> YouTube. These Uzenars coming from yeah. the spare room. <laughs> sitting, and you're like, uh, sitting in the bathroom honey, for way doing? too long. Yeah, watching just watching bakery Kore- videos. Korean street food videos because YouTube keeps feeding you the things that, yeah. you, know, that you watch. So that was happening for a while. Um, I can I can understand um, some of it. Why were we talking about? I know. This? Let me explain. I thought I needed to explain. I wanted to understand this concept of people watching this stuff and sensory feeling, going, "That's so satisfying, right?" And so, with younger people, what we constantly we tend to do is work with those satisfying feelings, but I call them sensory in in the therapy spaces because what it is is it's calming their nervous system. So what I'm saying is, I think teenagers are doing it innately without realizing it. They're watching these videos that they think are so satisfying and it calms their nervous system. They feel mm. good inside. They don't really understand why, but it makes them feel good. Do you think that uh, explains some of the uh, the resurgence in things like slime and fidget mm-hmm. spinners and what do you even call those little poppy things? Poppets. That they, the poppets. You were close, yeah. Um, poppets. You know, that kids always seem to want to have things in their hand that they can squish and squeeze and, mm-hmm. and press and... Well, I think we're starting to realise that a lot of people have experienced trauma, different, you know, different experiences of trauma. Um, and so all these things are helping people soothe their nervous system. I think we need it more than we've realised and it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. Um, I know some of those things just become cool and people do them. Mm-hmm. Um but they're also really enjoying it or they wouldn't do it. I mean, cool as in it's becoming popular and mm. we're seeing it everywhere, but it's actually helpful and it's soothing. Yeah, it's soothing. So what's the line? I mean, obviously there's a distinction between obviously there's a distinction between art therapy and being an artist. I mean, art therapy the goal is not to make a great piece of art. Mm-hmm. But then you get great artists who were very emotional and cathartic in their process, like a Jackson Pollock who might, you know, get into an emotional state and throw paint and it's all very operatic and mm. Well, uh, I would say any art generally is often referred to as there's a level of catharsis. catharsis. Yes, even mm. in, in performance too, you know, that you, you really can put yourself into a, a really emotionally gritty scene and, and, and really go there and you might, you know, even if you've, you're going through stuff yourself at the time, you might put that into your performance mm-hmm. on the day and, and use it, as they say. Um, so there, is, there does seem to be, and it's, it's, it's been said that, you know, pain and suffering and things like this, they, they kind of make for... They kind of make for great art, you know. We think of like a tortured soul, like a, you know, a, a Jeff Buckley or a, or a Vincent Van Gogh. You know that they kind of had all this, all this kind of torment in their lives, and they made these great artworks. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, why why do you think pain and suffering might make for good art, and um, and what's the difference between making art that is cathartic for you, the artist, and Art as therapy. Okay. Why do, can we go with the first one? Why do I think that that makes good art? I think the word good art is subjective. Or well, does it? I've laid that yeah, out yeah, as, yeah. A, as, a, <laughs> as, a, as a truth, but, it, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think that's subjective whether it's good art or not. Why do I think that that 
um, we have seen themes in the past of people that are under mental distress of some sort are creating large volumes of art or um, are producing lots mm. of art. Um, I, I, I don't know. Look, I can say... So Glennon Doyle, um, this lady who's written a few books, which is amazing, she says she suffers from anxiety and she talks about it a lot um, and, you know, mental distress. But she says the people that suffer from that, it's not that we're broken, it's that we're listening. We're listening to a world that in some ways is really broken. Um, So I do wonder sometimes those people that have mental distress, whether it's anxiety, depression or psychosis, whatever is going on for those artists, that maybe that is just a response of them listening to this world quite intently and seeing what's really going on. Um, And in doing so, they want to respond. So they're making lots of art in response to it. But as well as part of that listening, it can cause, you know, those emotional challenges Mm. that we can have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I personally don't think it's a prerequisite to be an artist or even a good artist. No, uh, I don't either. To have to have pain and and trauma, but something you just – uh, touched on is what I think you do need to have as an artist is the ability to have empathy to listen. Mm. That idea of deep listening. I think whether you're a, you know, I think of I think of artists who are just amazing observers of of psychology or of nature or of human nature, and and through that observation, they then are able to translate that into a story, whether that's a song or a painting or a a, a, a novel. Um, they're they're not necessarily kind of using their own using the art to express their own trauma or process their own trauma. They're just observing mm. the world around them, and and as an empath, can have this amazing ability to translate that into story and character. and And so, I think that thing about listening and 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 a, and a particular type of listening that is more of a prerequisite for being an artist than than having to have experienced suffering. Yeah. Even though I, I also think suffering is a totally normal, human, unavoidable aspect of all of our lives. It's just we all live on a spectrum of how much suffering and degrees of suffering that we all experience. Mm. And how oh, we manage it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't. I certainly don't mean to imply you have to be um, fucked up to make good art and yeah, that that's what a, good art requires. It's yeah. just... It, it also does often make for good and interesting yeah. content no, for art. No, no maybe that. that's um, maybe that's a relatability. Maybe that's because it makes us feel something. That, mm. that, like I say, that, that melancholy of life, which is a, a sort of a bittersweet feeling. Mm. Um, but equally, there's a lot of fucked up people in the world who aren't artists and can't make can't translate that trauma into mm. good art so i think mm. there's just as many if not more people in the world who are completely messed up mm. from and and suffering on a deep level who don't know what to do with that suffering and can't express it in in any artistic form mm. so have you ever had or seen a, uh, somebody make a really great artwork mm-hmm. as, as a result of therapy and and would that ever be displayed or is there ethics around displaying the work of somebody? I know there's a lot of famous, um, I mean, there's a lot of famous kind of murderer artists and things like this that have done great paintings from prison and gotten quite famous and um, uh, and, and then there's a kind of questions around, you know, displaying the art of... I, th- I thought you were going somewhere totally different <laughs> with that, like that they were using the crime scene and like cre- creating oh, wow. an artwork out of the... The blood splatters and stuff. I, wow, that's I, next level. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I mean like, more like um, the name is the name is, the name escapes me. It was a famous yeah murderer. I think he did. He paint himself as a clown in a lot of paintings, and 
and then there was questions over the the ethics of kind of displaying the art of this uh, mentally unwell guy, but his paintings were quite great. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I digress. What what about if somebody produces a and you're like, that's a really amazing artwork. Yeah, you I know, wouldn't. and the ethics of then showing that publicly, <laughs> yeah. as a piece of art. I would, ne- I would never say that. That's a great artwork. The moment that comes out of my mouth, that's a great piece of artwork. I've placed my judgment, my value judgment on their work, so I mm-hmm. would never say that, even if I was thinking inside, holy dooly, that is, you know, whatever is of interest to my style, because I know that art is very personal. It's so if it's something yeah. subjective. So no, I would never tell someone, oh, that's a really good piece of art. You should, you know, you should display that because mm-hmm. that just defeats. That really just breaks the whole safe space you've got going here in the therapy room because then they might think, oh, this is something I need to achieve. It's, it's also not the objective of the It's totally session. not. Yeah, I have to be conscious of yeah. what I'm creating, But I think good or not. Yeah. I've experienced people that, I've, that have struggled because they're really good artists to let go in mm. the arts therapy space. Yes. Because it's hard to just be self-expression with your feelings when you're being so cognitive about how it should look. And Perfection. Yeah, breaking it into threes or, you know, all the different rules of art and using the right materials and that's really gonna block you but that's exciting for me because let's work with that and um help you break through that perfectionism um but do people make art in art therapy and display it yes that happens um but normally that's informed at the beginning it's normally like a group workshop there might be something like we're going to work together and work on a piece and this is going to be displayed in the hospital or something like that to to show this journey that we've been on this therapeutic journey Mm. and people would agree to it or disagree and then we don't hang it but that's part of the process. It's never uh, we saw something at the end of a session and thought, that's awesome, let's go hang it up somewhere. Mm, because obviously it's the story of how an artwork was made that gives it its that's, – that's what makes it interesting, of, often mm-hmm. more so than the final result, yeah, is the story of how the artwork was made. So I guess you know when something comes out of a, a cathartic process or a therapeutic process, it's inherently interesting when we know the story of yeah, how it was sure. created. Sure, definitely. I think that's up to the individual though because it's such a personal experience and people that frequently come to art therapy, if they're coming with a therapy lens, they're not really coming to make something to become a public display. No. Do you think maybe another slightly uh, likely outcome could be that they, for example, a person comes in, they come to therapy, uh, they've never done any art, and they, they do this process, they find it really valuable on a personal level, but then maybe along the way realise they're like, I actually quite enjoy this, like painting or drawing, and and then go away separate to the session and separate to the, the whole art uh, therapy and just pursue that of their own accord as, mm-hmm. a, as an artistic expression. Have you ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely have. And I know that's evolved with other art therapist friends of mine and their clients. The only thing we preface with that is to understand that when you're making art in this therapy space, just like talk therapy, you would hate for an external person just walking down the street to read your case notes and make comments on your journey. Mm. So it's the same as your case notes, I guess, is your art. So you just need to realize if you're hanging that in a public space, that gives people the right to make public comment on your journey. Mm. And if it's something that's deeply personal, you need to be prepared. Yeah, I guess I'm more talking about awakening a kind of an, oh, an, an okay. inner Sorry. artist in them. Like, so if, if they've gone, oh my God, I've, I've tapped into this idea. I never really knew I had this and I love mm. it. And, and it sort of awakens some deep artistic expression in them. Yeah, definitely. I've heard of that as well, for mm. sure. And they continue on their own mm. with that. Yep, definitely. And I think 
there has been so many rules we've been told about who's creative, who's not creative, who gets to be an artist, who doesn't get to be an artist. You get kind of taught that in school, you know, um, it's kind of subliminally told Mm. who's good at art class and who's not. So I think a lot of people shut their creativity down for fear of being rejected or not good enough as the next person. So yes, if they're given that opportunity with no rules, no expectations, and they suddenly realize I enjoy this and I'm possibly good. Yeah, that's fantastic. And they can go and explore that. But it's but to be clear, that's not something you want to have in people's minds if they're considering art therapy. <laughs> Don't think about the result. Like it is 100% not about being good at art, right? Like no. you yourself, you're a decent drawer and can paint a bit, but you, you were not a visual artist. That was really that nice. Is- decent is not even a word I would use. I actually start off my art therapy sessions showing people my stick figure drawings to put them at ease. I go, this is a circle and a bunch of sticks. That's a person. Mm-hmm. You, can you do that? Welcome. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that's yeah. it. So, thanks for saying Because it's a large barrier for people, of right? Course, to go, I'm, totally. I'm not artistic yeah, or I'm not or dramatic I'm not and I can't get up and yeah, do. Yeah. No. And so I just say to them, Do you sing in the shower? Do you, can you read a book out loud? Excellent. And you can do drama. Not that I'm probably going to ask you to sing, but you can do creativity. Can you, you know, doodle in the corner of a page? Excellent. And you can do art. And it's definitely, we always say it's about the process. I'm more curious about how you felt during the process than even what you ended up with in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the art is the byproduct of the process, not the point of, of the whole experience. Yeah. A precious byproduct. Mm. I would say if you've got kids and you take this home, find a really high shelf because you don't want to come into your room the next day and find it, you know, drawn all over or shredded on the floor. I know it might not be a masterpiece for you, but you've got some story attached to it now and that's going to be a little bit frustrating. Do you believe that everybody has creativity within them? Yeah, I think that it's actually just fundamentally a part of our brain. How we use it varies, whether we use it in painting, drawing, movement, singing might not be. Some people use it to design computers or you know, to do mathematics, but creativity is a fundamental wiring, a fundamental skill for humanity, yes. And what do you think, uh, what do you think, so like some detrimental effects might be of, of people neglecting that in themselves? You know, you often hear people say, you know, particularly in our line when we talk about what we do, that people who say, oh, I'm not creative, I don't have a creative Mm-mm. bone in my body. Yeah. And they deny themselves of that because it's not connected to their self self identity self perception yeah. what do you think what price do you think they pay for that yeah and i think again that comes back to what i said is that's because we've told stories in school about who gets to be creative and who doesn't and so people have learned to shut that part off um detrimental to that well there's so much study showing the health benefits of in- involving yourself in creativity or even looking at pictures of art um, how it Such can, as? What are some of the health benefits? So it increases blood flow to the brain. It can decrease um, inflammation in your body, like markers of inflammation in your body. It creates new neural pathways. So there's all these benefits that you're cutting yourself off from. But also there's this theory in polyvagal theory about this sense of um, a state called the play state and how we all need to be able to engage in the play state. And being engaged in play requires us to feel safe. So oftentimes people that are cutting off creativity – It can be traced back possibly to a sense of feeling unsafe in that play space of being able to be silly or, Mm. you know, put themselves out there in a creative way. And so Mm -hmm. there's, that's the thing that you would be curious about and hope Mm. to help shift that, help them find a place of feeling safe that they can engage in play. Which which leads often back to childhood Mm -hmm. and the way they were raised or the way that was schooled perhaps. And so how has... 
How has all of this knowledge that you have and, and knowing the value of creativity, how do you find that that's informed your parenting and how you raise your children? Uh, well, um, I've realised obviously just as being a therapist how much is coming back from our attachment styles as children, which comes from our relationship with our primary caregiver, our parent or guardian. Um, so helping them feel secure listened to responsive parenting it's called um you know attuning to their emotions has become really even more important to me as i've learned this theory um allowing them to engage in creative play with no rules has been really important um and have freedom around that and no expectation mm. um definitely part of it um and realizing play is really powerful play is super powerful and people that do early educators can talk to you till the cows come home about how powerful play is for us as humans. And I think, like I said before, when we cut ourselves off and became so cerebral and cut off our bodies from our brains, we started thinking play was just like mm-hmm. a waste of time, mm-hmm. but it's not. And I think as a parent being aware of that, how powerful play is, especially now, cause we have a 18 month old mm. and watching her play, and realizing we're not just killing time with her, you know, and it's pure watching creativity. you play with yeah, her, which pure, is next level. It's a creative challenge to keep up with her because yeah. it's pure it's pure creativity in finding the, the detail of the smallest thing and, and, and juicing every kind of drop <laughs> of information out of that yeah. thing, you know, and, and figuring out the myriad of ways a simple object can be used. And that's what keeps them interested in it for so long. And, and keeps and, you interested. For yeah, so long. yeah. And we do forget that. And, and we say, you know, all the time when, we, when we're performing in schools and things like that, that what we do now is just a professional version of playing make-believe games as a yeah. kid. The only difference is we have a set series of words we say and a set series of actions and it kind of goes us basically the same way each time. Mm-hmm. But in that is the same spirit and that energy of, of curiosity as yeah. well i think yes. is tied in with that because you i think to be the best performers that uh, i've seen and worked with are the most curious they're always looking for so you might be doing the same script again and again day in day out but we're always trying like you and i are always trying to find new moments within that and mm. new and, and that comes through listening but curiosity and keeping that playful that that openness, I guess, in your perception of what's going on in the space around you and in those immediate experiences with you. And mm-hmm. and, and that's like a kid, you know, watching Essie with a, with a bug is, is kind of like that. She's just curious. She's mm-hmm. going, what is this thing and why is it moving like that and why is it that colour? And so there's these series of questions that keep getting asked again and again. I'm going to ask another question and then <laughs> and then what does that mean? And then what does that mean? And then what does that mean? And, and you keep following that thread of questioning and curiosity and it keeps you exploring i think that's that's a big part of of being an artist but i also think it's to your point uh marie lisa was it's about i think that's something inherently human in us we Mm. all have that but i I think from what i've observed is that people just shut that off they shut that curiosity off they stop asking questions and they just accept that is my life yeah that is my reality yeah yeah, and living is a powerful experience, you know, for for the good and the bad. Um, it's it's all very powerful, and when you when you raise a, an infant, you're reminded of of that that where we are is some, we're, we're all experiencing something quite extraordinary. Mm. Mm. Um, and so the need to the need to process that, mm. you know, is something that should be 
should be standard it should be fundamental everyone should have to do <laughs> years of therapy and, and and ongoing not just when you have a particular issue you're working through but it's just it should just be uh, hand in hand with being alive as a human being yeah, it's like servicing your car that's what i used to say to people it's like you know like you said i love that you said that at the start because it's true you know when i was you know, when I did a bit of therapy, people would come at an acute point where there was an acute mm-hmm. kind of issue that they were working through, and then a few weeks in, you know, you, you hopefully if the if the therapeutic intervention is working, you get some sort of sense of resolution. But then, what happened at that point? And and I would always say, you know, well, now it's maintenance. It's like if you fix a problem in your car, you just don't stop going to a mechanic. For the rest of the car's <laughs> life, you got to keep going, you know, mm-hmm. every five thousand k's and get the car serviced. Mm. So now you're at that point where you can choose to continue to service that hole, yeah. and using those uh, artistic interventions and therapeutic interventions to do that is really powerful, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. So in terms of uh, your practice and the art form and going forward, it's a it's a quite an exciting seems like a quite an exciting time mm-hmm. in the world of creative arts therapy it's starting to explode and becoming more commonly accepted and respected what are you kind of most excited about it at um at the moment what aspect of it and where do you sort of see it going you know in 10 years 20 years Mm -hmm. i think neuroscience the developments in neuroscience has really changed um the understanding around creative arts therapy i think a lot of what people were doing because they innately kind of knew this worked and saw the results in the clients is now kind of being backed up by our understanding of what's going on internally with our nervous system, you know, in our brains. Um, So just getting more and more of that research and understanding is just going to be so powerful um, and just help equip therapists more, help people give it the validity, understand it and believe in it more. Um, That makes me excited. I also think there's just a bit of a burst. Maybe it's just through my lens, but a bit of a burst of people wanting to be more creative. Um, wanting to honour that part of themselves, that it's not just this childish thing. Um, so I think that's really important. And in, I think In general, in life? Just in general, in life. Right. I feel it's more of an acceptable conversation maybe than 50 years ago. Maybe 50 years ago it was a bit of a, I don't know. Are, are you talking about stuff like, you know, people going and doing life drawing Oh, everywhere, yeah. And like, this is what, you know, it's becoming more of a thing like, yeah. oh, I want to go do something fun. I'm going to go to a pottery class or a life yeah. drawing class or go do singing lessons. And I just get excited that people are allowing themselves that state of play, that mm. state of fun. I think that I can see that changing. Mm. Um, I definitely think more, maybe I'm wrong, but I think more than 50 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, so I see that happening and I think that's going to be powerful. Mm. Yeah, like we're like it's becoming more common to sort of um, accept that we are we're not robots and that we're these um, to take a more holistic approach to living, even if you have a kind of a, an office job, you know, as a clerk processing data all day, it's more common for those people to have hobbies that kind of, Mm. um, you know, give them these other outlets and acknowledge the other parts of, of their being, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Do you, do you see yourself as an artist? Uh, When I'm in the arts therapy space, I don't see, I see myself as an art therapist. Um, outside of that, when I engage in particular activities, yeah, I see myself as an artist. I see everybody as creative, but then I see that you can call yourself an artist. And I think that's personally 
subjective, whoever wants to call themselves can. But I think that is more about the way you feel like you want to express yourself in the world. So some people express themselves through being a sports person or an artist or, you know, so I think that's a choice of how they want to show up and express what they're seeing and how they feel and how they want to show up. Like so that. you, you delineate a difference between creative creativity or being, being creative and being an artist. There's a, there's a, a definition between those two things. Yeah. For me, I think so. Yes. Cause I think everybody's creative. Like that just, it seems so, natural. So something, what defines an artist? Is it, is the intention? Is it <laughs> ah, the, is one. it the, um, pursuit of excellence and perfection in that creative expression no i don't think so i think being an artist is just a personal choice that that's how you want to show up in the world that's how you want to express yourself in the world so it doesn't matter whether it's you're pursuing it for excellence if you're pursuing it for public showing if you i don't think that is anything part of the story I think it's just that that's something that's that's in you and how you want to express yourself is do you want to do it artist because there might be people that are like how what I see of the world and how I feel about it means I feel I want to be a doctor and that's what I do and so that's how I show up every day and I help people in that way and that's my passion the way I can turn up to be the full expression of me as a human mm-hmm. but there are other people that might feel that as an artist for me I feel that as an artist and as a creative arts therapist mm-hmm. but when I'm in this room as a therapist, I don't think of myself as an artist. That's not my job here. Mm. No, mm. if that makes sense. But I don't think that delineate that doesn't take away from pe- everyone being creative. Mm. It's a tricky one. No, it's good. My brother <laughs> said the same thing. <laughs> that was that was his kind of take on it. Yeah. That everyone had creativity, but um, mm. art, art, artistry is is something you know slightly different to that and. I, I like what you said though about it, it. It really comes down to self-expression and and self-definition. Mm. You can anyone can define themselves as an artist if mm. they want to. It's just about how you see yourself. Yeah, um, ultimately. And I think then the world will decide as it will whether you're a good artist or not a good artist. Mm. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that's up business. to the world. But yeah. that's not. It's not up to. That shouldn't depend on what we decide whether we're an artist or not, and totally. whether in fact we are good or not. That's. But I'm just. The world will decide what the world decides. Yeah. The, the more the more I practice art as an artist, the less I worry about what other people think about that art. Yeah. I mean, that's in a way, it's a weird, that's a that's a weird it's a weird paradox. You because yeah, you want to be open to feedback. Yeah, you can you can you, you uh, can listen to your audience. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, you ha- you have to you know most people have to think what you're doing is good in order for you to kind of stick around and make a living. But yeah, there is no good. Really, yes. and at the mm. end of the day, like you've got to follow your own instinct, and if you've heard the feedback, I guess trusting yourself to know whether you agree, disagree, and then being solid in that and going, actually, I'm happy with it. that. Is the perfect expression of that piece and what we wanted to do, and that's mm. and now it's none of my business from here. Yeah, mm. what happens. That's it. more what I'm talking about. Yeah, mm. is 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 caring less about the how it's it's you put all of this care and attention into the process of making it. And then there's this kind of release that happens where you're like, well, now it's out in the world and it's yeah. now I can't control, you know, I've put all of the energy into the creation of it and thinking about it intensely and making these choices along the way. But once it exists, then over to you, audience. You yeah, know. and I guess mm. I guess art that comes out of therapy is sort of the, the opposite in a way of what we've trained people to do with art. Art, we've trained people to have a really strong opinion and comment on it 
say whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And I think people naturally, like you say, you get a client and then they might get picked up and the first thing that the the family member does yeah. is say, oh, that's really good or, oh, that's weird, what is that? And they'll comment on mm-hmm. it because they think, maybe they think they have to give some critique. Um, but I think that's a good thing for people to hear, to know, you know, if they have a, yeah. a, a loved one or, or someone they know that does this, is that actually you're not commenting on their art, you're commenting on their story, their internal world, their as the therapeutic yeah. process. And yeah, that is tricky because these people like teachers at school, when I see the students or parents, they're just trying to be supportive and they're thinking this is the point I can engage. Let me look at what you've done and comment on it. And I go, no, because, yeah, exactly right, because then we're starting to put value on it and we're starting to lay judgments on it, not necessarily bad judgments, but any judgment, any opinion, and that's not what it's about. Rather than asking, how did you feel while you were painting that? Yeah, exactly. How you felt great. Now? Yeah. Awesome. You know, like that should be the, the, the teacher should be sort of having. Yeah. Or not awesome if you didn't want to feel great, then yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, you just know. what it is. Yeah. So you are launching. The studio. The studio and a new business. Yes. So yourself. the business is called the Art Therapy Co. Or the Art Therapy Company, but we're just going to call it the Art Therapy Co. Uh, so it's just run out of the studio here on the Gold Coast. Um, I do intend on moving as well online, you know, in the world that we're in as well. I want to make it as accessible as possible. Um, so that will happen, but down the track. So this is for individual and group workshops are going to be here on the Gold Coast. Um, also, we're looking at doing in businesses, bringing this into your workplace and running workshops in your workplace for mental well-being. I think that's super important and this is really approachable. Using creative arts therapy is really approachable um, in your workplace, which is really lovely, accessible. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. I'm on Instagram and I have a website. What's your website? Theartstherapyco.com. That's it, Instagram, The Arts Therapy Co. I'm keeping it really simple. It's just that on repeat. That's it. That's what's happening at the moment. And is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to – share and or, or or mention that you think is important for people to understand about the world of uh, art therapy or creative arts therapy? Um, you know what I would say actually that I like to say to everybody in general with therapy, because um, I think this is so important, so I'd love to say this, is that I think everybody should give therapy a shot personally. I think that it, it could be really wonderful for just your human growth because like Hayden was saying, we're in this world, it's kind of weird. We don't necessarily, you know, know why we're here or, you know, there's all these questions we might, may or may not have. Um, So I think therapy can be really helpful. But my key point for everybody is if you go to a therapist and it doesn't work out, go to another one. I think we often get up the courage and make the decision, I'm going to see a therapist. And they go and they go, well, that sucked. Like that as in therapy as a whole. And I don't think that's true. I think that person, you didn't connect with them and it wasn't the right modality. So I would say go to another one. That's always what I say. Be brave again. I know it can take bravery, but go again. Um, personally, I think creative arts therapy is a really accessible therapy to try and because there's so many different modalities. Um, yeah, give it a shot. Awesome. Awesome. Marilisa, thank you for talking out your arts therapy. Anytime. Your therapeutic arts yeah. <laughs> with us and check her out online. She's amazing, and you've just heard it there. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased, but it's true. Um, So get into it. You've got nothing to lose. Give therapy a try. Give your creativity a try because you're worth it. 
Thanks, Marilisa. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. That's great.